Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast. This is Joanna Oki, and we're bringing this podcast for you, The Deal Room, proudly sponsored by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. And today we are talking all about how to hit the ground running after your acquisition of a medical or allied health practice. Now, in order to talk about this topic, we have on board Michelle Taylor from Marketing Practices. Michelle comes to us with a great amount of experience in this area, and she has a membership that's designed to help medical, dental, and allied health practices plan and implement effective marketing strategies with a goal to demystify marketing. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) Remove the overwhelm and empower practice owners and practice managers to effectively attract and retain patients. And of course, this is extremely important when we're looking at how it is that we can maximize the value of a medical or allied health practice that we've purchased. So without further ado, here we go with our discussion with Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the Deal Room Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. It's fabulous to have you on the show. So today we are talking all about the marketing plans post-completion in acquisitions for medical and allied health practices. So maybe, Michelle, maybe you can give us a quick rundown first of why we're talking about this subject. Why do you think this is something that's even a thing? What's the issue? Yeah, look, it's a really important topic to cover off, particularly when you're thinking about acquisition. And the reason is because often your mind and your time is all focused on the legal stuff and the financing and all of those kind of things that you need to tie up really quickly. But obviously, when you when you purchase, you want to be hitting the ground running in terms mm. of you know, producing as much revenue from that new acquisition as you can. And the biggest issue that I see all the time is that new practice owners end up getting a bit squished in that timing. And there's not enough time to be able to go through the full process of developing the marketing strategy. Mm. And that can, you know, that can lead to some issues in, in the future. Such a good point because in the acquisition process, everywhere, you, you know, it's, I, I think this is one of the things that um, buyers and sellers as well um, don't fully understand until they're in a deal, in a transaction, just how much time and attention it can sometimes take. Um, but you're absolutely right. That idea of well, what happens after that day of completion how does this now become, how do we make our dreams into reality in terms of, you you know, the ideas that we have for this practice when we purchased it? 
And, you know, obviously, how is it that we make sure we're going to make it a rip-roaring success relies on things like marketing, how we're going to make sure we've got people coming through, even that communication piece, how do we communicate, you know, change of ownership. So, one of the first things maybe we should talk about is branding. Should we change the branding? And I ask this um, not just because this is a topic we're talking about today, so that makes sense, <laughs> but, but also because there's there's sort of this, uh, there's two schools of thoughts on acquisitions. One is um, you, when you buy a business, you get in there and you've got the enthusiasm, so, so make it your own, turn it into that dream as quickly as possible so you can really get running. But there is another school of thought. And the other school of thought is don't make changes too soon. Um, Get in there, sit with what's there. And then after you've had the time to sit um, and allow, um, you, you know, allow yourself to be able to see how everything operates, then start to slowly, slowly make changes. So what's your thoughts in terms of branding in that sort of dichotomy, the two ways of viewing things? Do you think there's a, you know, an absolute answer or or how is it that an acquirer knows which way to go from a branding perspective? Yeah, and look, there there is no um, cookie-cutter approach for this. So you can't really say one way or another, and I know that's a really annoying answer, but what I'll do is... Um, <laughs> I was going to say that. I wasn't going to say that, Michelle. <laughs> but what I'll do is go through the reasons why you would keep a name and the reasons why you might want to change a name. So mm. the reasons why you'd want to keep it, there is a lot of brand equity in whatever that name is. So you would need to do your research and you would need to find out what the reputation of the practice is like. Um, And a great way of of finding that out is to go in some local Facebook groups. And I can tell you that in these local Facebook groups, people often ask for recommendations. I I need to see a new medical practice or I want to see a new dentist or I want to see, you know, does anyone recommend a great physio? Whatever it is. Go in and search these groups because what you will find is some excellent research and comments about the practice that you're acquiring and you can get a good feel for what the community thinks about that practice. Mm. So if you're in a situation where, you know, there there is great brand equity and the practice, you know, I've got a practice within the program, they've been in the same location for over 60 years. So we don't want to change that, you know, this, this yeah. practice has been part of the community for such a long time. Um, so, you know, when when the, the new owners kind of took over that, they stayed, um, kept the same brand name and they stayed with it. And yes, they evolved Um, carefully over time rather than, you know, doing it in one hit. And the other thing to consider is if if you want to keep the practice name, what's the situation with the practitioners um, who are selling and are they staying in the practice for a little bit of time? And if you want to keep that kind of consistency and and you're you're buying a really vibrant practice that you want to maintain that, then absolutely it's a good idea to keep 
that practice, um, keep the brand name and all the assets and just slowly do an evolution if you want to, you know, refresh and update things. Mm. What I found is that there are two trains of thoughts here. Um, some, Some patients and consumers don't like change. It's just a natural thing that they've kind of got used to. They like what their existing practice is, and they they don't really like to change things. Yes. So you want to make sure that if you're purchasing a practice where there's a lot of people that, you know, have have a, a strong emotional attachment to that practice, mm. don't change things too much. Evolve it um, over time in a very considered way. Mm. And that's one train of thought. Now, the other train of thought is you know, you want to go in and you want to relaunch this practice and, you know, launch it with a bang. And this would be a situation where that, you know, community sentiment, the reputation of the practice um, may be something where you would want to kind of, you know, refresh it and update reasonably quickly. And again, I'm working with another practice who has had bought her second practice so she'd already run a really successful practice she bought a second practice and you know didn't realize that the reputation was a little bit um you know I think that the person the outgoing owner let it go a little bit and Mm. that was reflective in the way people within the community thought about that practice so in that situation you want to do a big launch and you want to do a big brand change so that you can almost remove the sentiment of the past and make sure people within the community know that you've changed and everything's fresh and new and, you know, you've got this renewed enthusiasm, which is a great thing sometimes. You know, sometimes in in restaurants, for example, you say you see things that says under new management and you're like, excellent, you know, let's let's go and try that out and, and see what they've done to it. And, you know, the same is true for, for this as well. So it's really important to assess it on your individual situation. And also, you know, if, if this acquisition isn't your first acquisition or in the future you're expecting to potentially purchase more practices, do you want it to be under an umbrella brand that you can run across every practice? And if so, then, you know, you do need to make that change in regards to the practice name and the branding. Yeah, and and I guess this is where I just can't help to come in with (laughs) some of the legal elements here because, of course, you know, it becomes really important when you're thinking about um, branding to ensure that um, if you're moving into a new brand that you've done all of the legal checks, that you're choosing a brand that's capable of protection into the future, if you're looking at expansion in the future, you're ensuring absolutely that you've got uh, trademark protection. Uh, Michelle, you and I are going to have a webinar all about these sorts of issues. So if any of you um, who are listening in right at the moment are particularly interested in the process of um, coming up with a new brand and integrating brand protection and understanding how that all fits together, then um, I invite you along to um, the webinar that Michelle and I will be running on this topic and you'll find the details in the show notes. And if it so happens that you're watching this um, or listening to this um, podcast into the future, um, past the date that we've actually run that, then I'm sure we'll have reruns available for you as well. But um, without wanting to 
interject too much with the whole issue of trademarks and all of those exciting things that come up with brands. I think you're absolutely right that that question of branding is such an important one. And we have um, clients in this space who are um, aggregators, multiple acquirers of multiple um, practices. And this uh, this decision in relation to branding, i.e., um, is, is there a benefit of creating a global brand that crosses multiple practices or is there benefit in maintaining you know, the regional factor, the, uh, you know, is such an interesting component. And and I think it's one of those things, number one, um, that uh, acquirers don't even think to think about a lot. And number two, they probably don't take advice at the right points in terms of ensuring that they've got a really clear plan moving forward. So, I know you, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Michelle, when is the right time to start thinking about this? Look, the moment that you are thinking about purchasing a practice. Yeah. It's begin with the end in mind, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah, it's begin absolutely. with the end of mind. And, you know, developing a marketing strategy, you know, people often get caught up in the detail of a marketing plan. And a marketing strategy and a marketing plan are, are two separate processes. Okay, talk us through that. that yeah, that's- absolutely. <laughs> so your marketing strategy is generally speaking something that you really only need to do once every three to five years, depending on how your business is evolving. If your practice is taking on, you know, a whole new service and and um, and doing something really different, then you'd need to come back and revisit that. Um, but generally speaking, a marketing strategy is what you do every three to five years. And within that marketing strategy, we define what do you stand for? What's your why? Why are you doing this? What kind of patients do you want to attract? Um, We take a long time in developing the ideal patient avatar, that single perfect patient that if you could clone them a couple of hundred times, you would be a very happy practice owner. And going through that process, and the reason why we spend a lot of time doing that is because when you understand who you want to serve, it is so much easier to develop the rest of your marketing plan, which is all the activities, your kind of 12-month calendar of all the things that you're going to do. It's so much easier to figure out what you're going to do based on who your ideal patient avatar is in your marketing strategy. So how does this, talking about this, you you know, obviously from the perspective of acquisition, is this a decision that you make in relation to the type of practice that you're acquiring or is it, or should you base the type of practice you're acquiring on the answers to some of these questions. I mean, in reality, sometimes practices that are being acquired are on the basis of what's actually on the market at the moment. So you're a little bit limited, um, you know, in relation to having a particularly defined criteria, I guess, particularly if you're looking in a particular, that was a lot of particulars, wasn't it? Geographic location. But, you know, do you recommend that acquisitions be made with a particular focus on whether the patient's database m- matches where it is that you're um, 
that, you know, where you see your core interests, specialization, um, or is this something that you do once you've found your target? Yeah, look, I think I think knowing the type of practice that you want, knowing the the brand personality that you want your practice to be um, and knowing what services that you want to provide needs to be done up front. And once you do that, you can then kind of, I guess, match your criteria that's in your marketing strategy to, you know, what might be available on the market. Obviously, you know, it wouldn't make good, good business sense for you to, unless unless the location of what you're buying into is the most important thing um, in this situation, but it wouldn't make a lot of sense to acquire a practice with a database of a couple of thousand people if they're not, you know, reasonably closely aligned to who your ideal patient is that you've defined in your marketing strategy. Because, you know, as a part of that acquisition process, you're you're kind of acquiring the patients as well or the patient database. Um, so you're going to give yourself a, a big head start if you're buying a practice who has, you know, a reasonable number of patients in there that are your ideal patient avatar. So it's one of those things that you kind of need to, you need to do the work up front to understand what you're looking for and helping you do that is so it's critical in making those decisions. I think it's such a good point. Um, it's really interesting. It's making me reflect as we speak. So there you go. That's it's such a good point. <laughs> but we um, when we talk to acquirers, um, we we talk about acquisition in the terms of understanding where is the underlying value of what you're buying. So so what ultimately do you think you're buying in terms of value? Which seems like an obvious question, but do you know what? It's so not at the end of the day. And where um, I, I think what you're talking about at the moment fits so well with that way of viewing things. So you're sort of coming in and rather than saying, well, I'm after any old you know, medical or allied health practice, I'm actually after something that fits the criteria of the value I'm looking for, which may not be any old client patient database. It may be a particular type of patient database because, of course, the alternative is that you can just go out and start a practice yourself. So mm -hmm. that's why you have to be really um, I think clear in understanding what it is that that is the value in what you're acquiring. And sometimes, sometimes it just really is um, the access to the um, location um, or the premises. Sometimes it's the um, staff and the team it, that is the primary. And sometimes it is the, um, the database of the patient. So I guess what we're saying here is overlay some of those financials and some of those um, harder easier to measure metrics with some of these other elements like understanding who the patients are, not just the revenue that they're bringing in. So I think this is such a good other, you know, dimension to an analysis of what it is that you're acquiring. But then the second component of what you're talking about right now seems to suggest that many um, practices that are for sale perhaps haven't maximized the potential that they have and we can use marketing as as a, as a way to post acquisition 
really ramp up the value of that asset that we've purchased. So what coming at it from that perspective then, what are the sorts of things that um, an acquirer of a practice might do as part of their pre-launch runway, as an example? Yeah, I love the pre-launch runway. I think um, anyone who doesn't adopt this pre-launch runway prior to, you know, really going out with a bang and launching a practice is um, really missing out on a massive opportunity. And often people kind of get to the point where, you know, they they might um, take over the acquisition of a practice and then there might be, you know, five, six, seven weeks, whatever it might be to um, do a refresh of some of the fit out or whatever. Um, and they kind of have that date in mind and they kind of think, I'll start I'll start the marketing then. No, 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 no. You start your marketing in terms of public marketing to the local community a long way before the point of where you're opening because what you want to do is you want to make sure that the minute your doors are opened that you have, you know, patients starting already booked into appointments and that you've kind of launched that practice um, through that pre-launch runway. So the pre-launch runway, it's a little bit like an aeroplane taking off, right? So um, the runway is the bit where we gather momentum, we build anticipation, we um, create curiosity about what is going to be um, the situation within that practice when, when you know, you're officially kind of the owner and when you're opening it. So what I'd love to do is, you know, bring the, commun- bring the local community into the journey of the, um, the process where, you know, you might be getting the keys for the first time and, and you take a cute little um, video showing that you've got your keys and, you know, you're ready to start and, help people understand the process of you coming into the practice. Marketing has changed and it's changed significantly. So in the past, we used to talk about, you know, mass marketing and we'd get the message out there there to as many people and and almost hope that something sticks. Mm. But nowadays we are into mass personalization and relationship marketing. Mass so, personalization, I love it. That's right. <laughs> that's so, and, you know, thanks thanks to di- <sighs> thanks to digital marketing, um, you know, you can you can very easily do this and and build relationships. And you know, if you're a practice owner, I'm not talking about kind of personal relationships in that level that you know kind of breaches any um, any you know, patient-client relationships, what I'm talking about is helping people get to know you as a person in terms of how much information that you want to um, disclose to them about you and your life and your hobbies and those types of things. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what brand logo is on the front of your practice. What matters is the relationship that the patient builds up with the practitioners and the whole team, because that's where the loyalty is going to come from. People aren't loyal to, you know, brands per se. People create loyalty from having relationships. And even the big brands do this. You know, Nike, yes, people love the Nike brand because it's all about your favourite sports person who they use in all of their advertising and pay an awful lot of money to to use and endorse their products. 
because people want close relationships with their heroes. That's what mm. that's what relationship marketing is about. And when we turn that into the same concept into our local practice, you need to build relationships with the local community. And the best way of doing that is to share information about the process, about you're you're acquiring the practice about your visions, about what you want to create in this new environment and welcome people into the practice. So, you know, this pre-launch runway and starting to build those relationships in a marketing sense from the very moment that you can during that practice acquisition process is vital, absolutely vital. I know a medical practice who opened, they actually opened up from scratch um, and they had a full appointment booked for their first day of opening bar four appointments because they worked on their pre-launch runway. Mm. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, well, look, Michelle, you've shared with us some um, really useful tips, some other, um, I guess, dimensions of this whole what we're looking for when we're acquiring a practice and how it is that we um, look at our transition and integration, our post-completion runway uh, to make sure it's well, we're making the most of the opportunity of the asset that we've purchased. Is there anything that you feel we've missed in this discussion? Any last parting tips for our audience in this area? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, don't underestimate the value of doing a launch within your local community. Mm. Really important stuff because um, in marketing, when you're when you're launching anything, there is a, a product adoption or a service adoption life cycle that happens. There are your innovators. There are your early adopters. There's your early majority, your late majority, and your laggards. And we can label people like this. So your innovators are going to get in there because they want to try something new. They want to see what it's all about. They want to um, experience it and, and be the first. They love being the first. And there's a small percentage of people that do that. And your pre-launch runway is really gearing up to market to those innovators to get them to come in because those innovators, very small portion of the people, are the ones that actually go and tell the others, the early adopters and the early majority and the late majority who are the bulk of um, the population that are, are potentially coming into your practice. They'll go and tell them and people will start to, you know, come in over time. So highly recommend in the process of launching you need your pre-launch runway to target your innovators. But once you launch, don't stop there. That's just the start of it. You have to keep going because you still need the big percentage of the population who, you know, might might like to wait for other people to try things before mm-hmm. they give it a go and before they, uh, you know, see someone else's uh, mentioned it on a Facebook group, for example, that it was a great experience and, and you should go there and all that kind of stuff. They're looking for other people's endorsements to do that. So when you're launching something, the pre-launch runway, your launch, and then the first 90 days are really important too to make sure that you can um, keep the momentum going to attract other people that might want to just wait a little while until they know that you've got things sorted in the practice to to kind of go in there. So, you know, that is how to effectively do a, a really good launch. 
And look, marketing is like fitness. I always say this. It's like fitness because you just need to work at it consistently. It's never going to be finished. It's never going to be over. You need to keep working at it consistently. And the consistent approach really is the key to marketing. That's kind of the secret sauce. Mm. If you're continually building relationships, continually putting yourself out there, um, being present and visible, you will attract people into your world, the, the right people who are your ideal patient avatar. And that's where the magic happens when it comes to marketing. Well, that is fabulous, Michelle. I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast. Now, tell us how can our listeners find you um, if they're interested in finding out more about how they set themselves up for success post-acquisition um, if, if they really want to hit the ground running with their marketing plan. Yeah, absolutely. So I can help with the marketing strategy and the marketing plan um, and implementation as well. So you can find me at uh, just info at marketingpractices.com.au or come to my website. It's marketingpractices.com.au or I'm on Facebook there. I hang out a lot and on on, uh, LinkedIn (laughs) as well. So yeah, you can find me in any of those places. Absolutely fabulous. And of course, as always, if you're running along the beach right at this moment, well, good on you because we just talked about how important it is to keep on that fitness trail as well as marketing (laughs) or uh, driving to work or whatever, Um, assuming you can't write down um, the details for contacting Michelle right now. Don't worry about it. We've got it in the show notes. We've got you covered. So just head over to our show notes and we'll link straight through to Michelle and those contact details she just shared with us. Michelle, I just want to say a huge thank you um, for coming on the show today. And just a reminder for everyone who is listening in, if you want to find out more about branding and brand protection for new and existing practices, so this is particularly relevant if you're acquiring a practice and are looking at rebranding, or even if you're looking at opening some new Greenfield sites um, and you're interested in looking at the branding and the brand protection side, then Michelle and I will be um, investigating that thoroughly on a webinar to come up in January and you'll find those details as well in the registration page um, in the show notes. Michelle, thank you. I'm excited to um, to do it all again on a webinar very soon for our listeners. But until then, a massive thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited too. It should be a great session. It will be. It'll be fabulous. I'm pumped. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast, of course, where we're talking all about your plan for marketing post-completion as an acquirer of medical or allied health practices. If you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode if you want to read it in fine detail. Um, And of course, at our website, you'll also be able to find out how to, number one, link through to Michelle Taylor. Number two, go and register yourself for the branding and brand protection webinar that Michelle and I will be running in January or if you miss it, you'll be able to also register to get a copy of that recording. And number three, 
where you'll also be able to find details of our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you would like the assistance of our legal team to help you in the acquisition process to ensure that you're making the most out of the value of a practice that you're acquiring while minimizing the risk in both the practice itself and in the transaction. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. If you did, I'd love you to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and maybe even consider leaving us a review. That's it. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. team at Aspect Legal specialises in providing trademark registrations and general advice on brand protection and commercialisation for companies and individuals based anywhere in the world. So if you work in creating brands or logos for businesses, or if indeed you're a business needing assistance in protecting your brand, we offer a free 15-minute consultation with one of our lawyers to discuss how we can help you or your client. We also provide free trademark packs if you want to get a bit of an understanding of the process and the timelines. And of course, we do more than just trademark registrations. We work with our clients on a range of issues to assist them in making their trademarks work for them. So if you want to find out more, pop us an email at trademarks at aspectlegal.com.au or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a free consultation with one of our specialist lawyers. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.